Welcome to the Christadelphian Classics Podcast, brought to you by Wilderness Voice. Principles and Proverbs by Islip Collier. Part 2. Proverbs. Chapter 19. Wisdom for Everyday Life. It seems impossible to leave the Proverbs without writing a few words on some of the minor comments regarding ordinary human life. There are many wise and penetrating sayings which may not have any direct bearing on our duty to God, but which are helpful in human relationships. As life on the human plane is inevitably the first stage of our journey, anything which can help us live wisely may prove of eternal value. Unwise action, even if it is not sinful, may load us down with heavy and unnecessary weights. Many generous and impulsive men have suffered severely and have loaded themselves with trouble through being surety for a friend. Some who have thus suffered have read the comments in the book of Proverbs when it was too late and have exclaimed at their folly in neglecting such wise instructions when it was all the while ready to their hand. The writings of Solomon in this matter seem astonishingly up to date. If a man is surety for a stranger, he will smart for it. If he's surety for a friend, he's ensnared by his words and at the best thing for him then is to go to his friend and make him as sure as he can. In so many instances, the borrower of securities is a careless, cheerful muddler who, having secured a loan that will help him for the moment, gets on with the pleasant work of spending it without a thought for the day of reckoning or for the kind friend who has pledged his word. Sometimes, an earnest appeal may stir him up to a sense of responsibility, and a little straight talk may be better for him than money. When a borrower wants his friend to stand surety for him, he always makes it clear that no payment will ever be demanded. It's only a matter of form to put an honoured name on a paper and thus render a great service without ever having to pay anything. On the other hand, there are cynical men of business who would say that if you sign, you'll most almost surely have to pay. And the more the borrower protests, the more certain his failure. This seems to have been the experience of men 3,000 years ago. We need not draw a lesson trending to meanness. It's good to give or lend as we're able, but we may say very emphatically that if a man is not in a position to give or lend to his friend, he's certainly not in a position to be surety for him. It's interesting to note the expression, strike hands, in this connection. It suggests that without any signature, the offering and acceptance of the hand would constitute a bond which no one would repudiate. We may sometimes see in English cattle markets a custom which is probably survival of that to which the wise man refers. Two men will be haggling over the price of a beast. Finally, the vendor, having made a concession, declares that he will take nothing less. He holds out his right hand, stating the price, and perhaps with quite a dramatic indication of finality. The buyer, with no show of enthusiasm, without saying a word, strikes the outstretched hand with his own palm, and the sale is effected. Surely a survival from 3,000 years or more. Having mentioned such a buyer, we may observe his methods and then follow him home. He has not said much during the negotiations, and all that he has said has been to depreciate the value of the thing offered. It's a poor beast, and is not at all anxious to buy. 
When the sale is effected, however, and he goes home with his purchase, it's quite probable that his tone will change completely. It was the best animal in the market, and he only gave such a figure for it. Just as Solomon observed 3,000 years ago. It is naught, it is naught, saith the buyer. But when he's gone his way, then he boasteth. Much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there is that which destroyeth for lack of knowledge. Here's another saying which seems to have no direct bearing upon our duty toward God, but which is a very penetrating comment on human life. How often we notice the most deplorable waste and extravagance amongst people who are apparently poverty-stricken. They perform a double wrong in that they injure themselves and their more reasonable fellows for nothing more readily dries up the springs of benevolence than the discovery that people whose apparent poverty has excited our compassion are indulging in extravagances such as we could not afford for ourselves. There is a natural but unreasonable tendency to group all the indigent together and to suppose they're all alike in thriftlessness. This is a cruel and mistaken judgment. For there is no more uniformity of conduct amongst the poor than amongst the rich. Some are poor because they are greedy and idle, never learning a better way in spite of many lessons. Others are poor because circumstances have been unkind to them, never giving them a chance in life. They fail not for lack of industry or even lack of ability, but through absence of opportunity in this cruel world of selfish competition. They may become weak because they are out of work, and then be denied work because they are weak. Only those who have had a taste of such hardship, possibly quite unknown to their friends, can properly understand and sympathise. This, however, is not the side of the picture to emphasise, for there is nothing more weakening to the moral fibre than self-pity. There are many men, now of mature age, who are glad that in their young days there was no out-of-work pay, and not much in-work pay either. When circumstances kicked them out of home and town and necessity ruled, without any right of appeal, that they must go to strange parts and to work that they hated, it seemed hard and evil, but there was no escape, and they made the best of it. In retrospect, the hard experiences seem to have been the best of training. If such men sometimes seem rather severe in their treatment of modern unfortunate, it's not necessarily because they lack sympathy. It may be because they see farther, sympathise more deeply, and seek to give the kind of help that will strengthen. The words of the wise men go farther than appears on the surface. Lack of knowledge which often results in destruction, still more persistently prevents production or spends so foolishly as to cause unnecessary want. We can, we can remember a strong-minded woman who kept a little shop in a very poor neighbourhood and ruled her customers like a queen. You don't want that, she would say, almost indignantly when a customer tried to make an unwise purchase. This is what you should have. And she gave a measure of credit she was able to dictate and her customers benefited. Apart from her advice, their lack of knowledge would have squandered resources in things unnecessary. The moral to be drawn is clear enough. 
It has to do with a matter of wise choice on both sides. A divine law was given in the early days. It was breached by Solomon. It was restated and emphasised by the apostles and we recognise it now. The claims of some moderns that human feeling cannot possibly rule by divine law is wicked nonsense. We have to subdue feeling in obedience to human law or even to human convention. If we're sincere in our faith, divine law is much stronger. If it's applied immediately, our wayward fancies will never be strong enough to make serious conflict. The scriptures can guide us in this as in everything else. There ought never to be an unhappy marriage in the brotherhood. A scripturally guided choice and scripturally guided conduct will bring all the blessing that is possible in mortal life. The sorrows that come will be in spite of our love and never because of it. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth vain persons shall have poverty enough. This thought applies not only to the tilling of the land, but to all humble callings which give bread. From such humble security, men are lured in every year that passes, and many of them follow vain persons to poverty and sorrow. Closely following this passage in the next verse, we have the warning against making haste to be rich. The exhortation is needed now as much as ever. Often those who are most bitter in their criticisms of the rich are those who have tried hastily and unsuccessfully to follow in their wake. The government has had to warn people against share pushes. All such swindlers use a golden bait and it's surprising how many people who ought to know better have succumbed to their blandishments. There are still plenty of fraudulent enterprises even on the right side of the law and men ready to take the money of those who make haste to be rich. Some readers may feel that such matters as these are hardly worthy of mentioning as having no bearing on the great issues of life and death. This is a superficial judgment. Such matters are mentioned in scripture and particular attention is drawn to them as warnings to those of later days. The very ordinary incidents of everyday life may play a terribly vital part in our training. If the Israelites were condemned for murmuring when they lack bread in the wilderness, how shall we escape if we complain merely because we're unable to live according to the standards of Gentile luxury? Often a lack of knowledge leads to lack of faith. There are many passages which give good advice for domestic life. Man is counselled to live joyfully with the wife of his youth and never to be beguiled by the flattery of a stranger. Solomon's wisdom came from God and was commended by the Lord Jesus Christ. His deeds reveal the weak surrender of a mortal man who was unable to sustain his part faithfully in the great position to which he was called. His pitiable failure was a negative illustration of the truth of his words. For assuredly, he was not a happy man. On the other hand, thousands who have followed his advice have found domestic happiness, their only bliss of paradise that has survived the fall. Thousands more have discovered that if they break away from divine law, even in thought, 
The straying fancy will take toll of their happy days, while if they stray still farther, they may make hopeless shipwreck of life. We're all human, all weak. How good is it to pay heed to the words of wisdom and live joyfully? We've only been placer mining amongst the gold reefs of the Proverbs, but for the moment, we must leave them. All scripture has been handed down to us from our ancestors, and so we may be included in an exhortation which speaketh to us as unto children. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thy heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 23.